So this is, uh, this is one of my favorite stories in, in all of Scripture because it's a simple picture of the grace of God coming and encountering us. And I think this morning it's, it's really good for us to, to deal with this. I want to tell a story that kind of gives a backdrop to, uh, to what I want to talk about this morning. A lot of you know, I think most of you know, that um, my wife, who isn't here this morning, uh, was uh, during her junior, between her, after her junior year, before her senior year of high school, uh, she, she got pregnant with uh, w- what would become my daughter who I adopted after we got married. Um, she was 17, and uh, she was the darling of her church, uh, small rural church in, in Arkansas, and the, the pastor and the pastor's family loved my wife, and then uh, she got pregnant in, as a 17-year-old. And uh, one of the things, when we did our story series a couple of years ago, we, you guys maybe remember Jen telling the story, um, but one of the things she said as in that, that story was that she was the, the good girl. Everyone loved her, and then uh, she got pregnant, and there was proof that she wasn't the good girl anymore. And her, the pastor, wouldn't, never looked her in the eye, never spoke to her again. And as a 17-year-old who's pregnant, it just completely broke her. And that summer, as a pregnant teenager, she went to San Antonio, Texas to go uh, to a youth camp with her older cousin. Uh, he's probably 10, 15 years older than her uh, with his youth group. He was the youth minister. And at that camp, she was a pregnant girl, and she was 17, and she received an incredible amount of grace from both the, her, her cousin youth pastor, but everybody that was involved in that youth camp, and it changed her, and she believed she was saved at that camp for the first time uh, because she had encountered grace, and the, the picture there is where she had grown up, everyone that she had connected with her whole life, who was supposed to show her grace, didn't. And then she went away to camp and saw grace for the first time, and it changed her. And the idea is that when we encounter grace, it, it changes us. It changes everything that we are. And, and I'll, I'll use that story as we kind of go along this morning, and, and next week... Uh, we're going to talk more about the, kind of the second half of this story when the religious leaders, the Pharisees, kind of become, they get involved in, in the story and in the situation. And we'll go back to this, to Jen's story as we walk through that. But I want to just put that in front of us as someone who is engaged with a lack of grace and someone who is engaged with grace and all that that does to us. Because ultimately when we connect with grace, when we are confronted with grace, and I use, choose that word very very carefully, when we are confronted with grace, something happens to us. Something happens in us. All right? So I want us to, to understand confronting, being confronted with grace, we can, we can respond in, in several ways. First, we can respond with worship. We're confronted with grace. Worship can happen in us. Wow, God, how good of you to give me this gift that I don't deserve, that I did nothing to earn. We can also respond with obedience. 
wow, God, how good of you to give me this gift. Now I want to respond and do exactly as you've called me to. Because of, of the grace that you've given to me, I'm going to do what you've called me to do, what you've told me to do, what you've asked me to do. Or we can reject that grace and seek to earn something. And, and that I think we, like, we can dismiss that, and, and I can, I'm really good at dismissing that one. When I encounter grace, rarely do I think I reject it because I want to earn it. Rarely do I, I find myself in that category. But the, the deeper I think about my encounter with grace and what I do with it, the more I realize that I, I, I wind up there. So I want to encourage you, as, as we talk this week and next about grace and our interaction with grace and how it confronts us and how we respond to it, I want you to, to maybe think a little deeper beyond the surface and see if, in fact, you have at times rejected grace or not fully given yourself to grace because you want to have a part of it. And on Father's Day, like, my dad is, is Rich Maxidon, and I did nothing to become his son. I celebrate him today. He's a great dad. I celebrate him today. But I didn't do anything to become his son. It was just what happened. And great, the, God's grace is so big and so amazing and so profound and so all-reaching that it, it's going to be regardless of your response to it. And then when, when God's grace gifts kind of pop up and show up, we, that's how we engage them, worship, obedience, or rejection because of we want to earn it. Uh, or we can reject it because we're, we want to embrace our own sin. Let that one think with you a little bit. We reject grace because we want to continue in our sin. And it, it, it drives us crazy. Have you guys ever been here before? I've been there a lot. This sin, I really like it. So I'm going to reject grace when it compares to this sin because it makes me uncomfortable. We reject grace all the time because we'd rather stay comfortable in our own sin. And then the last thing, we, we might think that these last two are probably the worst, but this is the worst. Nothing. When you encounter grace, you do nothing. Because deadness happens. And it's just dead. But I want to look at the story. I want to say one thing before we get to the, the heart of the story. Whatever response you have to grace, you are sent with that message. The word sent happens a lot in, in this, and it's, it's kind of weird. It appears out of context. Um, but the fact is, however you respond to grace is a message that you are sent with. Do you respond to grace with worship? You're sent with that response. People around you pay attention. Do you respond to grace with obedience? Do you respond to grace with rejection because I want to earn it? Do you respond to grace with rejection because I want to stay in it? 
Or do you respond to grace with nothing? Whatever it is, you are sent with that message. So let's, let's look at, at these verses. I'm greatly excited. Like, my countenance appears sad and not intense, but this is, uh, this is really good really good stuff in, in John chapter 9. Let's look at this verse by verse. As he passed by, Jesus, walking with his disciples, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. I want to, this isn't deep or profound, but I want to say something here, that Jesus is always teaching. He's walking by, and he sees this man blind from birth, and he seizes this opportunity to speak, to teach. And his disciples were so connected with that, so ingrained with that idea, that when stuff happened around them, they would ask him questions, hoping that he might teach them a little bit about the kingdom, which is exactly what happens here. Jesus walks past this man blind from birth, and his disciples, because they knew he was always teaching about specific real-life tangible things. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I want to poke in on, on that again. Is it, pay attention to life when it's happening to you because God is wanting to teach you something through the circumstances of your life. And chances are, what he's wanting to teach you is that he's enough. He provides grace. It's what he's wanting to teach you. And I'm thinking of very specific situations in my own heart and in my own life and in the lives of, of you folks. God wants to teach you here. So, back to our story. Rabbi, why was this, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? And uh, there's, a, there's an error in this question. It's, those, those aren't our only two options. It, was it him or was it his parents that sinned to make him born blind? Because God doesn't work that way. At least he doesn't always work that way. I want to read a quote from you from R.C. Sproul. He says this about this question. Throughout biblical history, when people violated the law of God, God visited them with judgment. What happened to the baby born of David and Bathsheba? The judgment of God came upon that child, and God took the baby's life as judgment for David on David and Bathsheba, appears in 2 Samuel. Refresh our minds to that story. Uriah and Bathsheba are married. Uriah is at war. David is not. David should be at war, but he's not. He's at home, and he looks at Bathsheba, and he sees her sunbathing, and he's filled with lust, and he takes her and impregnates her. He finds out that she's pregnant, brings Uriah home to try and convince the rest of the world that it wasn't your, him that got Bathsheba pregnant, but it was in fact Uriah. Uriah says, I'm not going to sleep with her because I need to be in battle. This isn't right to everybody else that's in battle. And so David doesn't know what to do, trying to cover up for his own sin. He has Uriah sent to the front of the lines where he will surely die, and he dies. So David is an adulterer, he's a liar, and he's a murderer here. In this particular situation. The result of that sin, 2 Samuel teaches us, 
that baby that was born is born with an illness and is sick. And for several days, David doesn't eat. He fasts. He's praying on behalf of this child. And this child eventually dies. And God says in 2 Samuel that this child died as a judgment on your sin. I want to be clear, very, very clear this morning that sometimes the grace of God looks different than what we hoped it would. I also want to be very, very clear that sometimes there's judgment, sometimes there's pain, sometimes there's hardship and difficulty that's in our life because of our sin. But that's not always the case. I think one of the things that that I can tend to do because I want to tend towards grace is leave behind the consequences of our sin. For example, our story with Jen. The consequence of Jen's sin is my daughter Brianna. The consequence of sin is real. She exists. But the beautiful part is God can, can and does and always, always does redeem those situations. Though it's difficult and hard, I can't fathom the pain that David felt when his child, even though the circumstances with which it was born from Bathsheba, when that child died. I can't fathom the the depth of pain that's there. But I can fathom, because David writes about it, the, the joy that David felt in the redemption, redeeming forgiveness of his father. Go read 2 Samuel, go read the Psalms, go read Psalm 51, and and it's all about it. So, when we sin, when there is sin in our lives, there are consequences of that sin. But, uh, there are times, 1 Peter, hit that that slide for 1 Peter, David. Um, Though in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved with various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Suffering happens to us, and God has a purpose for that suffering, and that purpose is to get us to see that he is enough. First Peter teaches that. So the consequences of your sin are there to take your eyes off of your present situation and put them onto God. And Jesus Christ is hence revealed. Hit the next one. Romans chapter 5, my favorite chapter in the Bible. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. The pain that comes to us, we rejoice in that pain. Because knowing suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out on us. Another way to say grace. Because grace comes into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the theological question that the disciples bring to Jesus. Who sinned, this man or his parents, to bring him to this? Jesus, there's, there's way more subtlety to this question. And Jesus explains it in the next verse. Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not this man that sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So it's neither his, him or his parents. The reason that this man was born blind was so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Um, 
There's a, there's a Christmas song that I know and I, I love, and it's, uh, I have a, a Spotify playlist of, of worship songs that I, I listen to when I'm preparing a sermon, and it's, it's song number one. It's a Christmas song, but it's more than that. I want to read one of the, the verses, lyrics to you. It says, and understand this is a Christmas song, but allow it to not be a Christmas song and allow it to be a grace song. Allow it to be a today, God pouring grace into your heart, redeeming your sin. Hope that you don't mind our manger. See this as, as yourself. God sent his son Jesus to be born in a manger, a terrible, awful, ugly, dirty place. You and I, our souls, our hearts. Hope that you don't mind our manger, how I wish we would have known, but long-awaited holy stranger, make yourself at home. Look, this is grace, you guys. This is grace. This is, this is really important. Jesus has left heaven to come into the dirtiness of you, to enter into your sinful, grotesque, and awful situation. And, and here's the prayer of, of my heart as I listen to this song and as I see my own sin, I see my own failure, especially on Father's Day. Jesus has left perfection to come into the dirty manger that is your heart. Grace. It's so beautiful. Please make yourself at home. Bring your peace into my violence. Bid my hungry soul be filled. Word now breaking heaven's silence. Welcome to our world. Welcome to my heart, God. This is Jesus. This man born blind was born blind so that we might pay attention to the fact Jesus is enough. Jesus is. Grace is about to happen to this man, and it will change him, and it will send him to proclaim this message, the grace of Jesus. I want to say one thing. I think this is kind of the, the whole point of the story. Grace happens to us to show us that the greatest thing is the greatest thing. It's the purpose of grace in your life. So that we would get our stupid fleshly minds off of this stupid particular situation. This guy's born blind. Whatever's going on in your life is going on in your life. And Jesus is answering it with grace, answering it with himself, entering into your predicament with himself so that you might understand, you might recognize the greatest thing as the greatest thing because it is the greatest thing. The greatest thing, Jesus. I want to talk about this particular situation actually and metaphorically. We are broken people who live in a broken world and Jesus engages our brokenness. This guy's brokenness is he cannot see. He has never seen. He has never seen the color blue. And even still in this moment, when Jesus is teaching his disciples, 
about who he is and his grace and entering into situations. And, and this man has been born blind so that you might see the work of God. He's still blind. And th- here's, here, I want you to see the, the physical nature of what's happening. Jesus and his disciples here. The disciples say, hey, hey, why is this guy born blind? Was it his mom or his dad or, or him? What happened? Well, it's so that you might pay attention to me. What's happening in this situation is blind dude is right there and they're having this conversation. And he's probably like, like raising it. What? And he's, he's currently blind when Jesus is, is talking about these things. So the physics here is that this guy's still blind. He's still never encountered a sunset. He's never seen a mountain. He's never seen his best friend. He's never seen his parents. He's never seen any color. This guy is blind. And Jesus enters into this situation. Metaphorically, this guy's brokenness is now redeemed. Our broken natures, we are not fully capable. This, we're talking metaphorically now. Because of our brokenness, we are not capable of fully engaging all that we were intended to engage. Think about the first time you were able to, to lay. I'm, I'm looking at two parents holding their babies right now. You guys, think about the first time you looked at this child. For those of you who have children, think about the first time you looked at that child. Now imagine you not being able to have eyesight in seeing that child. The metaphor in this is that we are broken. We don't work. And as a result, we are not able to engage the kingdom of God the way that we were intended to engage the kingdom of God. The joy and the beauty that you see and behold when you hold your child, when you look at your child, when you engage that gift of God, any gift, you are given senses to interact with that gift. But our broken nature disables us from fully engaging in that. But the metaphor here in the story is that God sent his son Jesus to enter into your situation to take away your brokenness, to redeem you, to restore you so that you might encounter God the way God intended for you to encounter him. And this, like, it's got to change us. My passionate desire is God would continue to bring that into my heart and bring that into your heart and change us. Because the beautiful part about this is when we encounter grace, it sends us. And this guy acts sent later on. Go back to our story with Jen. She's pregnant. She has a baby. Years later, I am in a Sunday school classroom with Ben and Stephanie Hammond. They're also not here today. It's a bunch of us not here today. That's not true. They're us. We are here today. Uh, sorry. Sunday school room, Ben and Stephanie Hammond. And I meet Boston, their son, for the first time. I said, uh, 
That's a great name. Boston is a great name. I spent some time in that town. It's great. How did you come to know the town Boston? Or how did you, how'd you come to, to name your, your, your kid Boston? And if Stephanie were here, this is what she would say. She, in that immediate moment, she like, got extremely discouraged because she felt like she had, God had brought her to a place where she was going to be able to connect in a church that she was going to love, but she was going to have to tell the story of how her son got to name Boston. And that was going to cause her to have to run away. The story is very similar to Jen. She got pregnant and had a baby. And her baby's dad loved Boston, loved the name Boston. And so he got named Boston. And so she had to tell me the story of how this baby was born out of wedlock and thought she was going to receive condemnation. And I said, oh, that's great. And then I told her Jen's story and Brianna's story. And Grace encountered her. And this isn't a story of like, hey, look at the way Rick and Jen handled Ben and Stephanie. This is a story of look at the way Grace encountered Jen in San Antonio, Texas as as an 18-year-old. And how that Grace propelled and sent her to go and engage Ben and Stephanie. And Boston. And Rick and Judy. When you encounter grace, it sends you. With a message. Sometimes that message is, oh my gosh, I can't believe you named your child after this guy and, and you're, you got pregnant out of wedlock and I, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. Grace can send you with that message. Grace can send you with the message of Jen's pastor, back in Arkansas. I'm not going to look at you or or call you by name or speak to you ever again. Grace can send you with that message. Or grace can send you with the message of, I love you. But grace and how you react to it sends you with some kind of message. what's What's it sending you with? Grace sends you with a message. Verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. There's sent appearing for the first time. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. And again, Jesus is here to engage this man in his sin, or engage this man in his brokenness, and redeem it, restore it. This is the work of Christ. God sent Jesus to go and be this, to be sent. Verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In other words, I give people the ability to see. Be near me and things begin to make sense. You can see past your circumstances and into the reality of what Jesus is teaching you. Here's like this story is not about blindness. What's this story about? Not rhetorical. What's this story about? It's about grace. What else is it about? I'll give you a hint. It starts with a J. Yes. Jesus. This story is about Jesus. It's about grace. And the point 
that I think God is trying to say to us in John chapter 9, and think the thing that John is trying to relate to people reading John chapter 9, the point that God is making to us today, whatever it is that's happening to you right now in this moment, it's not about whatever it is, it's about Jesus, and it's about grace. Because the life of Jesus is God sent him to go and redeem and restore a world. And he's interacting with these disciples, teaching them to be sent. And here, us, what we do with this story, what we do with our story, is teaching you to be sent with that story. To be like Jesus is to be sent. To be like Jesus is to be sent. This story is turning lights on. When Jesus says he's the light of the world, he's pay attention to who I am and what I'm doing. Verse 6. Again, a lot has happened. I've taught a lot already. And dude is still blind. Verse 6. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. This is really weird. Like, this is Jesus. There have been plenty of times where Jesus has just said, healed, and they were healed. But now, for some reason, Jesus spits on the ground, makes a clay, a mud, and he rubs it on the guy's eyes. Why does he do that? The best I can come up with is what happens in verse 7. He said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. What does Siloam mean? Sent. Why didn't Jesus just heal him? Why did he put mud on his eyes? And by the way, when Jesus put the mud on his eyes, he's still blind. He doesn't see until he goes to the pool. He's still never seen Jesus. Never laid eyes on Jesus. Never seen colors. But he goes to the pool called Scent. I think maybe God is teaching us something that restoration happens in its fullness when we're sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Like, he, the, one of the things I think I miss a lot when I read this story is this guy never asked Jesus for anything. He didn't go to him and say, Jesus, will you make me be able to see? Jesus just did it. He did it so this guy would be sent. He did it so that he could teach his disciples about being sent. He did it so he could teach his disciples about this whole idea of grace. But here, this guy is sent and he washes his face and he comes back and he can see through nothing of his own doing. And then he encounters people. Verse 8. 
the neighbors and those who had seen him before as he was a beggar saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but it's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. I'm the guy. I was blind. I'm not anymore. So they said to him, then how were your eyes answered? In verse 11, this is, this is how we'll end this morning, and I think it's simply beautiful and poetic. He answered the man. He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes, and he said to me, go to scent and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Like, Jesus is so simple. It's just stupid. He answered, well, how, are you, how, how can you see? Who did this to you? Like, so many times in, in my own heart, I'm wondering, what is, what is the purpose of this? What is the purpose of this Grace. What is the purpose of, of my restoration? What's the purpose of your restoration? What's the purpose of North Church? What's the purpose of my relationship with my children? What's the purpose of my relationship with my wife? What's the purpose of my relationship with Jeff? What's the purpose of Jeff's relationship with Mike? What's the purpose of, of any of this? Why? What? I think the answer here is in verse 11. There's this guy called Jesus, and he entered into my brokenness, and he made me whole. And so now I'm whole. Like, you wonder what, next time you wonder, why? What, what am I doing here? Read this story. Read, read John 9, 11. I was, I couldn't see Jesus gave me his grace, and now I can see. And the metaphor in that, the metaphor for us to take is, I was fully aware of my brokenness, and Jesus entered into that brokenness. He made himself at home inside of my soul, and now I can see. I don't don't know. And that's... This is grace. And like in a, in a world filled with good dads and bad dads and good stuff and bad stuff and brokenness and redemption and just like a world filled with alarm clocks that go off at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning and life happening again, Monday's tomorrow. In a world filled with that sort of chaotic monotonous that continues to drive on you, the truth is grace. The truth is Jesus. And what he wants to do is engage you in where you are and say that I love you and I'm enough. He wants to get you to recognize the greatest thing is the greatest thing because it is the greatest thing. Grace, Jesus. It's all about 
him. Let's, uh, let's pray and sing some songs of worship to our Father. God, you are beautiful. Open our eyes to your truth. Open our eyes where they need to be opened to show us that our only hope, our only life, our only answer is found in Jesus. And God, may that change us. Please, God. God, thank you for grace. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.